Blog Talk Radio.
We'd like to just share with you if during this part of the program we have a moment of silence, please bear with us because we have been experiencing some technical difficulties that is is beyond our control, and we will do the best that we can given those limitations. So again, we welcome you to Africa on the Move as your host, Brother Africa, I'm in the seat, and right now we're going to begin to give some heat. We're going to briefly introduce our political panelists for today's program, and then we'll talk about a little bit about what's going on in your world and community, and followed by a discussion under the theme tonight, Part 2, Information, Education, and Liberation. So again, call your friends. Your supporters and tell them come and join us to see us Africa on the move, and we want to bring you along with us. So right now, like always, let's get started with our party by introducing our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We first will come in and say hello to Brother Haki. Welcome to Africa on the move, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, how you doing? My name is Haki Kamafi Mashoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness. And, of course, my thing is institution building. But uh, just before I get into that, Brother Africa, one thing I find um, extraordinary, this notion in terms of back to, being back to normalcy. Uh, I certainly hope people don't swallow that bit of propaganda because clearly when we talk about back, back to being normal, again, in, in context of the system, then clearly that's not going to happen. And let me explain why. So I'm going to briefly read this, and so hopefully people will glean, glean precisely why this question in terms of back to normalcy is a fallacy. Anyway. Check this out, Brother Africa. Now, the level of deception and misinformation circumvented throughout U.S. society with a humble Joseph Goebbels, uh, the Nazi propagandist. Nowhere is deception more notable than the popular phrase, return to normal. This normalcy they espouse pertains to a U.S. economy that will regroup, reverse its economic woes, regain its status as the sole superpower of the world. Zygmunt Brzezinski, the former national security advisor, attempted to dissuade such delusions arguing a multipolar world in which leadership of the world must reside with three nations, that unilateral control by the U.S. was no longer possible. Specific countries he referred to were China, Russia, and the U.S. Content to dismiss Brzezinski, American leaders conspired to elevate strategy that would restore U.S. dominance and deter other nations from a place on the world stage. Achieving this feat is proven impossible, not because of foreign interference of U.S. elections, but internal conflicts, largely from a capitalist system caught up in inertia and unwillingness to end tradition. Now, the FEMA administrator, Peter Gaynor, unconsciously expressed a deeply held polemic that underscores the seething contempt the wealthy elites in America harbored for the masses of people when he echoed, quote, FEMA vows to attack the health and safety of Americans, end quote. This Freudian slip conveyed a sentiment that was anything but endearing. How can it be interpreted otherwise? Looking at the inner workings of the U.S. economy, one has to conclude the lives of most of the citizenry is not valued very much. Specifically, looking at monetary policy during COVID-19 belies some chilling truths that must be acknowledged. Monetary policy or the flow of money through the economy has been greatly restricted to benefit the wealthy, even when such a policy undermines the total economy. Monetary policy, which shaping specifically to shop, excuse me, shaping specifically to benefit Wall Street, by extending low-interest loans to banks, buying corporate and/or government debt, 
Government policy prevented the economy from expanding or growing. A more productive policy would have been to direct monies into the productive sector. Now, investments in hiring workers, the training of workers, will not only expand the economy, but enhance a, a corporate credit rating that's currently considered negative. And by the way, a negative rating along with the declining value of dollars makes it difficult for the U.S. to borrow. This is, a com- this is complicated by the fact current monetary policy decides winners and losers. Certainly, the 1% of the wage earners are declared winners, but the benefit does not end there. Monetary policy, American style, utilizes a contingent effect whereby Treasury Department, in conjunction with Wall Street, manages prices in a way 10% of the populations become beneficiaries. This 10% large infusions of money, along with tax policy, ensures availability of stock options for the wealthy. Wealthy individuals are uniquely situated where they don't need their own money for investment. Instead, utilizing margins, they can use the public's money to fund their investments. This is possible because of financialization and uh, formula utilized to fund the economy. For every $1 invested toward the real economy, housing, education, jobs, and so forth, $100 is invested in Wall Street. Ironically, this funding pattern not only contributes to up and down in terms of prices, but inflation as well. As the prices of commodities skyrockets, particularly food and housing, the most vulnerable, the masses of people, pay a steep price. Putting this in perspective, if 70% of the economy is consumer spending or debt, how can poor people contribute to an economy with no jobs, substandard wages, and, and are ill-educated? Meanwhile, the $27 trillion national debt continues to grow, so much for normalcy. Now, this anointed class of winners of government welfare with our money is used by wealthy elites to engage in stock trades between themselves, accruing big dividends, which is placed in offshore accounts never to be taxed. Currently, 26 to $32 trillion exists in offshore accounts, and despite this enormous amount, the U.S. government refuses to seek an end to this practice. And I wonder why. If this is not reprehensive enough, corporations play a similar game. Corporations will borrow money by at, at extremely low interest rates. Using those funds, corporations will purchase stocks, load up on those stocks, drive up the value of those stocks, in the process of making healthy dividends, all supported by the government. This was just this is just the beginning. Realizing theft was in vogue, corporations began to employ the same strategy with a new twist. Corporations would issue their own stock, engage in spoofing or the manipulation of stock prices by incrementally buying stock, causing the price of stock to raise rise. After a sufficient number of investors buy the rising stock, corporations would sell, making millions upon millions of dollars. Achievement of the strategy was not easy. Corporations first had to invest in policy change, eliminating the Volcker rule. This rule would perform stock, excuse me, stress tests on banks to determine their solvency or to ensure that banks have enough money uh, in case they uh, give out loans or they're in case of withdrawals. By eliminating the Volcker rule, corporations were free to form in business deals that were lucrative for both corporations and banks sometime with the banks taking huge losses. Now, the bottom line is that this legalized stealing is sanctioned by the government. This theft contributes greatly to inequality in U.S. society, as well as to the general economic malaise confronting the U.S. economy. According to Moody's, the credit rating authority, inequality exacerbates an already declining economy. By reducing inequality, specifically lowering racial wealth, racial wealth gap, the GDP or general economy could increase 4 to 6%. It goes on to say reducing the wealth gap between <coughs> could result in a yearly salary increase of $4,300 per year. That's per capita. 
This may not sound like a lot of money, but given corporate debt of $10.5 trillion, any amount that contributes to the, the productive economy increases the multiplier effect or the exponential increase of money throughout the, the, the economy. Now that the Federal Reserve is in, itself engaging in practices that enhance its counterproductive monetary policy, this multiplier effect is needed more than ever. Engaging in repo practices that lends money to insolvent financial institutions at 2% interest, the Federal Reserve seeks to maintain a flow of funds to its coffers to cover bad debt it has taken, taken upon itself. The multiplier will not save the economy from freefall, but at least it offers the possibility of less pain inflicted on the masses of people, both psychologically and physically. Well, on second door, Brother Africa, the bottom line is that perhaps this, this is normal. So I say that to say that it's important that people understand the nature of the beast in terms of the situation as it exists. Most people fundamentally have, don't have an understanding in terms of how the economy works, and that is what the, the, uh, the elite in society is banking on. So I encourage people to understand as much as they possibly can in terms of you know, how, the, how this capitalist system operates. Once they understand how this capitalist system um, operates, then they understand the implicit threat in terms of capitalism. Not only that, then they understand why it's also why it's a necessity in terms of those positions of power continue to manipulate people to pit some poor, some poor people against other poor people. Because they understand that if poor people collectively begin to understand that their problem is with a system and not with each other, then they would direct their anger at the proper, at the proper individuals or the proper system. So clearly people have to understand this role in terms of economics because the thing is very, very clear. Uh, they're going to continue to direct all the problems that, that are peculiar to the capitalist system. They're going to continue to blame the people. And if we don't, and if we're not cognizant in terms of how the system works, then we swallow the propaganda and we kill each other. So clearly we have to understand the system. And in order to facilitate that, that we need the institutions, uh, we need these organizations in the African community and other communities as well to give this question, deal with this question in terms of you know how capitalism works and how the system how it works. So once we do that, then we're in a much more strategic position to formulate all kinds of strategies in terms of our survival in a very very hostile uh, a very very hostile situation. So clearly, uh, I encourage people to do that, and I close with that. And again, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. to thank you for your patience. As we stated earlier, um, for the last several weeks, we've been periodically having unintentional interruptions, so we apologize for these interruptions, but they are beyond our control, and therefore, we'll do the best we can. Brother Haki, we mix with Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. I, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm uh, pro-choice. Uh, thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. All right, thank you, Brother Moses, for being here. And to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to start our first segment of the program, 
what's going on in your world and the community, and we invite you to call in at 323-679-0841 to share with us what's going on in your world and the community. So right now we're going to pause for this call, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. with 
said you To write, to write, to write, to write, to write To write, to write, to write, to write, to write, to write I beg you Oh Tell you to do right Uh, is that 
one of the things that he alleged, the the officer alleged, the officers alleged that the the the, the car was coming at them in the in an attempt to strike the officer. Well, interestingly enough, you know, the time was the, when they when they pulled up all onto the car. One of the things they did was very interesting. They turned off the camera. They only turned the camera on in hindsight, so it was very interesting. So they had the opportunity to actually, for, you know, film the, the incidents in entirety. They selectively decided when to turn the cameras on. So I find that very, very suspect in terms, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the events that transpired that day. Also, just as important, Mother Africa, one of the things I certainly didn't understand was that if you, if your, if your allegations is that the, that the young people would try to hit the cop with the car. And I have to ask yourself, you know, one of the things is that, you know, when, when they first approached the car, why would the officer cross the street? That doesn't make any sense to me. You have a car on one side of the street, but you got an officer who goes on the other side of the street. And that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, I, I'm, I don't understand what the logic is in terms of him doing that. Uh, the only thing I can, I, 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 if I was conjecture, I would think that perhaps uh, they were anticipating you know uh, that they have the opportunity to justify the killing of these young these young people. Uh, one thing is that um, you know, uh, and also you know when you stop and think about it, brother Africa, when if someone is, if you're in a car and someone pulls a weapon at you and, you and you're in a car, your first inclination is what? It's to bend down. It's it's a it's a duck, right? It's hit an accelerator and duck. It's not to stay, you know, to stay up upward. So the mere fact that he was able to get off those rounds and kill two people, uh, one in the back, one in the drive in the front, speaks values in terms of, you know, just what was his position you know, when he fired that shot. Because clearly, if, in fact, if he, was, if, he, if he was afraid, if the officer was afraid of his life, then certainly you cannot justify how those, how those rounds hit the side of the vehicle when you say that you're being run over, which means that they're coming right at you. Otherwise, with this, with it only mean, it can only mean that the cop the cop wasn't in danger. He just fired the shots off because he felt like he had the law on his side, and so he did it. So clearly, you know, I I, I think that uh, you know when you get to, when you when you think about the kind of duplicity, the kind of games they perpetuate in terms of the, the media, in terms of the portrayal of African people, it seems to me African people got to understand that writing's on the wall. I mean, that's no other way to look at it. I mean, that's really no other way to look at it. I mean, you know, historically. They use um, narratives in terms of you know when they when they set when 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 African people are, are blamed for things they didn't do, they create a narrative to try to sort of justify you know the execution of African people. Now they're using footage in terms of to the, for the same purpose in terms of justifying the execution of African people. So it seems to me that clearly they're running on the wall, and you know and you can you can take the position that you know hey you don't care, you take the position like it's not my family, I don't care, you can do that. But that, along with a declining economy, it seems to me that you don't have any choice in terms of but to confront these injustices that permeate the society. Because at some point, we're all going to be impacted, whether we believe it or not, by these injustices that inflict the society, that impact the society. So clearly, this is just another example in terms of you know a lack of respect, a lack of um, uh, value of African lives. Uh, to the to the extent that you're willing to engage in you know um, you know um, um, you know that kind of force, you know, it's certainly not justifiable. So clearly, you know, we got some problems in society, and so I, I certainly hope people can understand, you know, uh, just the, the the extent of that threat and, and understanding that uh, this is very very serious stuff, and uh, this, this this incident sort of undermines you know the seriousness of the situation after people find themselves you know in this society. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, 
What's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, certainly, we we see the that uh, the president uh, has relinquished on his um, the staying of uh, staying in office, and basically he will be moving out on the twentieth, and uh, and we're thankful for that 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 there will be a transition. Uh, he's going under protest, but he's going, and uh, I think that's the big news. Uh, the the tensions are, are being uh, lowered. Um, the brothers, the brothers uh, in in Florida that that hockey uh, uh, talked about uh, certainly they 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 didn't deserve to uh, die like they died and and uh, and we acknowledge that uh, uh, it's been a it's been an interesting week. Uh, uh, nothing, nothing extraordinary, outstanding, uh, standing up as, as real big contradiction of the system stands out in my mind. Uh, the big thing is the president is leaving. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Mullen. You know, uh, panelists, um, I would like to just give y'all something to uh, think about, and I'd like to hear your response to the narrative that has been playing out as relates to this pandemic, dealing with this covert um, privacy that is going on. And I speak to the issue that I'm trying to figure out what is really happening with this issue of having many different forms of, uh, of vaccinations to cure the so-called um, particular virus. Recently, they talking about him going from one possibility of vaccination to having three to four different pharmaceutical companies to have their own um, vaccinations that they claim to be effective. Most of them have not said 100%. They say like in the 90%, 95% range. But just the whole idea of we having multiple different types of vaccinations all of them claim to be taking be, be um, some kind of remedy to this so-called virus. What do y'all make of that that particular narrative? Something don't sound right. Why are you having multiple forms of vaccinations? Why can't you just have one particular so-called um, area where they research, dissect the vaccine on the um, viruses, and come up with a particular vaccine to deal with it? Why different types of vaccines, and even for different types of populations? I don't understand the narrative. Y'all response, Brother Hackey, leave it, lead us all. Well, I think to some extent, Brother Africa, I think we have to realize the role of money, uh, you know, plays the, move, the role of money plays in, in the society and throughout the world, actually. Uh, one of the things that countries are uh, uh, we are, con- are p- conditioned, uh, you know, to compete against one another. Indeed, capitalism, the tendency of capitalism dictate that we compete. And so therefore in that context, it's not a a, 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 a a uniform concern in terms of humanity. Uh the concern breaks down uh based upon, you know, country. Uh so therefore, you know, there's no incentive for countries to work together because it's, because what is more important is the pursuit of money. And it's unfortunate but that is that is the nature of the beast. 
Uh, you know, but one thing, you know, when you talk about in terms of the the effigy, uh, in terms of the effectiveness of these of this virus, and we talk about ninety percent, uh, I find that ironic. Uh, you know, uh, that when you talk about ninety percent in terms of, of in terms of, of cure, uh, one thing is very clear: ninety percent doesn't is not very um, promising. Uh, so, in other words, perhaps when you say ninety percent, essentially what you're talking about is that you're saying that well maybe they'll cure uh, the symptoms, but disease lingers in your body, which means at some point you might uh, the, the illness might reoccur. So I'm not sure what ninety percent means in terms of efficacy. If it's not one hundred percent, then it's not scientific. So the mere fact that they're saying it's ninety percent speaks values in terms of the pursuit of dollars as opposed to the pursuit in terms of actually eliminating this particular virus. But I'm not surprised at all. But also, brother, after something else I should raise, raise at this point too, is that remember uh, when the, uh, the 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 CEO of um, of, of uh, the, C- the CEO of uh, the major corporation, remember when he he sold his stocks, uh, uh, when he sold those stocks and made you know that 5.7 million dollars in terms of uh, dividends. Uh, keep in mind, uh, Pfizer's now saying that at one point they were they were. They were touting this, this this notion that their vaccine was 90 percent effective. Well, they had to go back to the drawing board because they found out that it wasn't 90 percent effective. That 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 90 percent efficacy or the 90 percent effectiveness only relates to 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 young people, uh, you know, teenagers and, and and younger. And so, therefore, so clearly, you know, this this notion in terms of this whole 90 percent um, um, uh, canard that they keep talking about. It's it's a bit of a game, and so but it's, but again, it's all about the money, and so nobody's surprised at all because you have all these competing companies, you know, you know, trying to uh, trying to 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 uh, create this 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 vaccine, you know, for COVID nineteen. But one final thing, brother Africa, I have to mention this: is this is important because one of the things is that when we talk about in terms of the creation of these 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 vaccines, we got to understand that it's our money, it's the money of the people who in, through the government. Who actually finance the, the, these these um, uh, uh, these uh, this pursuit of a cure, you know, for COVID-19? Unfortunately, because it's capitalism, even though they can use our money of the free of vaccines, individual countries, companies, private co- companies stand to profit, you know, from you know from the vaccine. How crazy is that? It seems to me if it's our money that invest in terms of creation of these vaccines, then we should get it, then the people should get the vaccine free. But that's not what doesn't happen in, in capitalism. They're going to get the billion dollars from the government in terms of innovating a, a vaccine or creating a vaccine uh, for COVID-19 and then turn around and charge you a tremendous amount of money to receive that same vaccine. So clearly, Brother Africa, the bottom line is all, it's all about it's all about the money. So nobody should be surprised, you know, that you have a... a, a, a a, a, a narrative, a narrative that exists in the world, which says that you know, listen, the hell with the humanity is all about it's all about money, and so therefore everything we do is geared toward money. And as as such, you know, one of the things that we're very, very clear on that capitalism is very very good in terms of promoting you know uh, individualism, very good at promoting you know um, um, average and greed, avarice and greed over all all, all, all all other things. So we're not surprised at all that you would have a situation where people out here trying to get their vaccine because they know once they innovate this vaccine, once it gets the okay to hit the market, they're going to make billions and billions and billions of dollars, and you know that. Unfortunately, the focus is never on humanity. It's never on in terms of preventing these kind of things. It's all about the accumulation of wealth. And unfortunately, 
given the reality that the economy is in decline and uh, and the people who, who, who have access to stocks understand that there's limited opportunity in terms of making lots and lots of money. And certainly this vaccine offers a less opportunity you know, for people who are very wealthy to make tons and tons of money. So therefore they double down on this notion in terms of it's all about it's all about profitability and nothing else. So I'm not surprised that throughout the world that you have these competing companies working on the same on the same vaccine when it makes more sense, both economically and, 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 and morally or politically, to work together in terms of creating a vaccine that is truly effective. But that's not going to happen because that's just not the, how the world currently is organized. So anyway, Brother Africa, I think to answer your question, I think it's all about money. So I'm not surprised, you know, that you have, you know, different entities trying to innovate the same vaccine for the same, uh, so quote, unquote, uh, a virus. Brother Moses, your take? Um, Brother Africa, I, I believe what Brother Haki is saying has some merit to it, uh, especially the U.S. corporations. Um, I'm hoping that that Cuba and China will will bring in research and and uh, and uh, bring in a a vaccine of their, that will that we can trust. Uh, um, I I know that. Uh, when they first came out with that vaccine, uh, the Pfizer one, they were saying it was 90% effective, and then then another per- another group came out with a 95% effective, and then Pfizer changed theirs to 95% effective. And so, I don't know that was that was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, uh, I don't know how that ca- occurred. Uh, so it's definitely. These U.S. corporations, hard, it's hard to trust them, uh, especially after the history of capitalism. And you can't, you can't expect them to suddenly uh, become humanitarians overnight. And so, uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's suspect. Uh, uh, taking of uh, 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 this virus, uh, we become more and more scientific. We're more and more knowledgeable uh, in, in the world today than they were years ago. And so, you know, hopefully they can come up with an effective vaccine. Uh, I don't – defining the disease, you know, we, we've come a long ways. But solving the problem, I still think we've, we've got a ways to go. Thank you. But you know, Brother Africa. But this whole question of the efficacy in terms of the effectiveness of these of these of these, of these uh, vaccines, you know, when when you talk about in terms, you start qualifying them in terms of percentages, then it becomes problematic, because it seems to me that if you talk about science, you know, either something is effective or is not. There's no in between, and essentially what they're saying that's sort of an in between, and that makes no sense at all, which means they don't adequately understand in terms of how this virus how the virus functions. But one of the things I, I, I can't help but thinking about, though, Brother Africa, is that I think that, you know, this, 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 this virus came along in a very opportune time, and I'm suspicious in terms of the timing of COVID-19. It came along at the same time the, the world economy is in decline. So I see it sort of suspect. And I suspect that people throughout the world who are engaging these strikes against, uh, engaging these movements against, you know, being locked in, I think they suspect that um, you know that uh, you know that COVID-19 itself is suspect. In fact, um, the possibility exists where maybe you know people do understand in terms of how to 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 remedy 
you know, the, the effects of COVID-19. In fact, if it was manufactured, and clearly there's got to be some type of solution in terms of cure. So clearly, you know, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very, very um, suspicious in terms of the timing of COVID-19. And the mere fact that I'm suspicious, you know, uh, you know, um, by no stretch of imagination, by no stretch of imagination means that, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I don't take it, take this COVID-19 threat seriously. But I also understand the same token that in, in, in the vein of strategy, one of the things that you want to do is you, to the extent that you can debilitate a, a, a population, uh, you can undermine that population or uh, disempower that population to the extent the government can achieve that, then it's in their best strategic interest to do so. Simply because when you talk about an economy that's in decline, then certainly you got all these people with no chances of jobs, no chances of um, housing, uh, no chance in terms of decent education. These things, these problems continue to proliferate. And the question for governments always, of course, what are you going to do with all of these people that you don't have a need for? Now, I, I hear Brother Moses when he talk about the fact in terms of, you know, uh, you know, Cuba and China doing, you know, trying to create a situation where a narrative in which they can actually uh, disseminate, you know, this, this vaccine, you know, to poor nations to ensure that people get what they need around the world. And that's to be commended. Uh, but I think more importantly, in the United States, you've got to ask yourself, why is in the U.S. advocating a similar position? Uh, and, and, and I say that, you know, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a total endorsement because one of the things that and the Brother Moses said and I'm very concerned about is that you've got to be, you gotta be I'm, very, I'm very concerned in terms of the, 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 the policies, the politics behind COVID-19. Uh, do you really want to create a, a, a vaccine that is effective and doesn't do any harm to people? Are you doing one to essentially um, weaken or compromise people's immune systems over the long period of time? Or even a compromise their ability to have healthy children in the future. So I'm very, very, I'm very, very concerned in terms of that possibility when we get when we talk about the the just how inhumane uh, capitalism is in terms of its lack in terms of, of of identifying with humanity. So I'm very concerned about that. But in any event, that aside, at very least, if you just at least, I'm just wondering why at least the, at least the, the articulation, the idea that there's some concern, some compassion for those in the world. Who, who are caught up in a very difficult time of uh, circumstances not of their own doing because of the nature of imperialism in terms of how it impacts people's economies around the world. I'm very concerned about why the U.S. not saying, hey, we need to figure out some kind of way in terms of making sure vaccines get to those who, uh, who economies are struggling. Uh, the mere fact that I don't hear that suggests, you know, that there are a lot of people in positions of power in American society who want to see a, you know, uh, a, a massive a number, a massive number of people dying as a result of COVID-19. Henceforth, perhaps that was a strategy all along. So, in the brother Africa, you know, it's good to know that you do have countries out here who are actually thinking about humanity, because that is important. Because one of the things that we are solely lacking in America is that we're lacking, you know, uh, a system, a system that is that is extremely inhumane. And until we grasp that, uh, you know, unfortunately. All of humanity, uh, not just in the United States, without the world, pay the price for a system that is essentially anti-human. Yeah, you know, Brother Haki, um, things do have a history, and when you look at the history of, particularly U.S. role as it relates to this, this theory of population control, the theory of undesirable, this whole theory that the, the, the wealth. Those who are wealthy should have the right to dictate and determine what should or should not be. 
you have to uh, begin to ask the question of whether or not if these kind of um, happenings could be something that were manufactured just to create certain type of certain type of control and maintain. Again, we'd like to thank you for your patience. As we said earlier, we we were disrupted from communicating to you, and you know these kind of disruptions are disruptions outside of our control. We have made our complaint to the public authority, and hopefully, sometime near future, uh, these kind of problems can be resolved and avoided. But as I'm saying, panelists, one thing about this vaccine thing is. You know, the West has the history of creating certain kind of social conditions that will not be favorable to the maintaining and the existence and the well-being of certain populations, certain classes of people, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and we know that people like Belinda Bill Gates and many think tanks have already rejected that they want to come up with processes where they can eliminate large sums of populations within a certain time period. I remember reading a report by one of the think tanks years ago where they talked about the continent of Africa will will become a land without people, where they they will lose hundreds of millions of people in terms of its population size. I remember looking at certain think tanks, and they began to become concerned about the negative population growth in Europe and how that would impact the rest of the world. I remember seeing other think tanks looking at U.S. population growth, growth and its possibilities by the year 2040. U.S. will become a population of people of non-European, or as they would say, people of color. So I'm really wondering, Brother Hackey, that you raised earlier in the timing of it, and I'm even more concerned now about the uses of these vaccines because one of the things that I'm hearing now, and I'd like to get your response to, is the response that we don't have no say-so on these injections. There is creating scenarios and situations where whether or not if you want to be injected with this vaccine, then you don't have no choice. And they definitely not tell you what what is the makeup of these vaccines. For example, I see there are some airlines, have, they are putting in policies now that in order to travel, you must have a certified certificate saying that you have, you know, when the vaccine is available, you have been um, vaccinated. You'll need to show proof or have some form of certificate to show that you have taken the shot or else you will not be able to travel. Um, also, there are some discussions also in terms of now, employee, employers will force their employees to take these shots. If you don't take these shots, you no longer be, you will not no longer have the right to work. What do y'all think about these kind of policies and decisions that's coming down the pipe as it relates to individual liberties and freedom? Um, Brother Hakeem and then Brother Moses, y'all respond to these kind of policies. What do y'all make of it? Yeah, I I, I think Brother Africa in a, in a nutshell, I think um, the, the writings on the wall. I think all of these, all of these, these policies with respect to the so-called, you know, uh, vaccine vaccinations, all of it has to do has more to do with control than anything else. Because it seems to me that when you talk about travel, 
if you can substantiate, you know, that, uh, you know, that you don't have the virus, then you shouldn't be restricted in terms of travel. Now, when they mandate that you've got to have this vaccine, then the question becomes, wait a minute, if I don't have it, uh, then why would I need the shot? Of course, that position would be that, well, you need it in turn to protect other people. Well, but the problem is that if other people are being inoculated against it, then certainly people who are not receiving a shot shouldn't be a threat, at least uh, you know, philosophically. So the mere fact that they really want people to take those shots speaks volumes in terms of the real motivation, the, the underlying motivation in terms of what's really going on, and which, of course, is always politics. And people got to understand, when we talk about in terms of the precarious nature of the economy, we understand, we have, people really have to understand that the economy is precarious. In the next 10 years, seriously, I mean, if people don't, don't get it right now, trust me, in 10 years, they're going to get it. There's a price to pay for not understanding what's going on, but they're going to understand clearly what is going on because, it's, because currently, you know, the system is unsustainable. And the people in positions of power know that. When you look at it in terms of the sheer number of the wealthy people who are getting dual citizenship across the world, they're prepared to fly the hell out of here. They understand precisely what's going on. They know what's coming down the pike. I'm more concerned with the, the ranking, the, the, the ranking file, the masses of people, you know, out there, you working people, poor people, you know, who don't understand what, what the hell is what's going on, what's really going on. I'm really concerned about them. And so, when you have a situation where where, uh, where, the, where the government insists, you know, that you that you comply, or you, or, or or there's a price to pay in terms of your your livelihood, then I have a serious problem with that. Uh, and the mere fact that one of the things we're very, very clear on, you know, just in terms of, you know, being slaves, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're captive, you know, to a, to a system would say is that, you know, in order for you just to survive, we got, we, you must, we, we dictate, you know, how you live your life. So you do a nine to five because if you don't do a nine to five, you don't live. We created conditions in which you can't live. And so we're slaves. And so we have to comply. And so now you're saying that you got a vaccine and we're saying, that, okay, listen, you know, in order for you to have a job, you got to take this. Well, seriously, what happened to the seriously, what happened to the Constitution in terms of your, in terms of your right in terms of your right to 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 your right to to be free? What happened to your right to liberty, the pursuit of justice? What 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 happened to all of those grandiose ideas? What happened? All of a sudden, they're no longer relevant. Then, if they're not relevant, then clearly, then what you're saying is that we're 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 in a state of fascism, and so this fascism that we're talking about is is growing leaps and bounds. So I think this vaccination or this compulsion to force people to take this vaccination is indication an indication uh, indication of the fact that we are you know in a fascist society, and they're just preparing us, but they're doing it you know you know incremental incrementally, you know they're they're doing it piece by piece to make sure. You know that uh, they get us to a state in which we comply, that we comply, and that's very, very dangerous, and that's very, very dangerous. Uh, one of the things is that we cannot afford to do is give those positions of power consent. Once you give them consent over your own life, then the ball game is pretty much over. So I have to, you know, I have to congratulate those people around the world who said, "I'm saying, listen, this, 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 that's a better way than simply taking away, taking away our civil rights in terms of combating this virus." So I support those people who, who around the world who are taking a stand in terms of resisting, you know, authoritarianism. And that's precisely what it is. And so in America, you know, when you talk about, you know, uh, clearly when they talk about compelling people to take vaccinations, you know, even if, even if, even in a sense, when you, even when you say that these vaccinations are not 100%, but you still can compel people to take them, then I got to ask, what, 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 what is the logic? What, what is the, why, how could you compel me to take something that I know could potentially could harm me? How dare you actually you mandate something that could potentially harm me? 
And this is based upon your own your own words. When you tell me something is ninety percent effective, then you telling me that it's not effective. It's like a, it's like someone saying someone being a little bit pregnant. No woman can be a little bit pregnant. I mean, either you're pregnant or you're not. To say a vaccine is only ninety percent effective, what does that mean? It means nothing. So the potential in terms of infecting serious harm to my body exists because even if I take your own statistics, that means ten percent of of what you're giving me is some some questions pertaining to its effectiveness. So why the hell am I going to take something that's going to effectively damage me? Why would should I be compelled to do that? So clearly we got we, we, this, we, we got a struggle before us. I mean clearly. Uh, and, I, and my position is that, you know, I, 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 I don't, I suspect, you know, uh, is, you know, politics at play here. And I suspect that the politics are not good, particularly when it comes to the masses of people. Uh, in the context of capitalism, one of the things is very, very clear. If people can't contribute to the economy, if people don't have capital, then in the context of capitalism, then you have no right to exist. And so, therefore, if you're going to, if by creating ingenious ways in terms of eliminating a large number of people can be achieved by utilizing um, vaccines, then capitalists have no problem in terms of doing that. And they'll still turn around and blame you, you know, uh, for your death, <laughs> you know, by, you, by, by offering up some information which is, which is not factual. But in any event, uh, you know, I, I think that we've got to be very, very concerned about terms of fascism and going authoritarianism, um, author, excuse me, authoritarianism, authoritarianism, <laughs> and I'm so sleepy, I can't sleep, can't talk. Anyway, so we've got to be very concerned in terms of the, the kind of practices that doesn't bode well for humanity. Well, Moses, how do we deal with this possibility of forced invasination? Your, your, yeah, your response. Well, I'm a, I'm opposed to forced evacuations or um, vaccinations. I mean, I think people have to make a decision based upon their knowledge and their understanding of the scientific facts, etc. Um, I think it's a scientific fact that this virus, COVID-19, exists and that it is deadly and that we have to accept that and take the enemy seriously. And so, you know, the vaccinations, um, um, whether or not they are effective is um, is an issue everybody's going to have to take into consideration and and, um, and uh, follow their conscience. Um, but I do think the virus is real, and uh, and uh, and we have to take it seriously. Thank you. You know, the panelists, uh, to give people something to think about um, in terms of whether or not what we are hearing and seeing is really legit, is that I find it really interesting. One of the arguments they raised that what we need is make sure we have plenty of supply of the vaccine, but while at the same time they also talk about the need a distribution process, how it should be distributed, and who should get it first? And the first two people who should get it, they stated, should be the medical workers and the poor. Well, I find no two conversations, no two particular entities are really interesting. The first ones that should take it should be the medical workers and the poor. When has this country, this society, became interested in terms of maintain the well-being of the poor. Your response to that particular um, narrative, something doesn't sound right to me with that narrative, panelists. Your response. Yeah, well, 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 you're absolutely right, Brother Africa. That's why I'm very much concerned about authoritarianism, you know, in society. 
uh, because you read historically, they've never been concerned about um, the, 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 the plight of poor people in society. Uh, particularly when you start looking in terms of the inner workings of the capitalist system, they've never been concerned about the, 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 the needs and concerns of the poor people. And so now you're going to say, you're going to say okay, we're going to use the vaccine to, to, to vaccinate you first uh, at the expense of others, particularly those who are wealthy. I find it very suspect. It seems to me I tell you what you do. Why don't you give it to the wealthy people first? Give it to them. Give it to them first. We'll observe and we'll see what happens with them. How, how about that one? So the mere fact that they talking about giving to uh, you know poor people first, along with the med- you know uh, medical staff, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm not even sure that when they, when they disseminate those vaccines, that the vaccine would be the same that they give to the medical staff versus the vaccine they give to the poor people. It might even be the same vaccines. So we just don't know. There's just too many unknowns. There's too many X factors in terms of this particular vaccine. But I think you're right, Brother Africa. Anytime they start doing things where they where uplift humanity, you never become suspicious. Now, if I live in a society which says that he, that human life is 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 is, 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 is paramount, if I live in such a society, then I understand that everything the government does is in the interest of humanity, and so therefore I don't have to worry about government doing things that's going to cripple me. If I live in Cuba, for example, I know what the Cubans do. That I know it's going to be the benefit of benefit of benefit for me. If I live in China, then I know what the Chinese leadership is going to do. I know it's going to be a benefit to me. I know I'm not going to do the thing that's going to cripple me. I'm in America, so I can't take that that that, that risk. You know that you're certainly now. You know, you know, in the, in the 21st century, now you to somehow find your humanity. Now you're going to disseminate some vaccine to me under the guise that you really care about people like me who happen to be poor. I I I don't buy, Brother Africa. That's another reason why I'm so suspicious. I'm, I'm very very suspicious when that when that happens. Like I said, I was rather, okay, why don't you just give it to the rich people first? Let's give it to the rich people. Uh, you know, we, we, even then, we're not sure if the rich people get a different kind of vaccine. But at very minimal, we get at least, uh, you know, an opportunity to observe, you know, um, uh, you know, the impact, regardless of what vaccine they give them. But we get an opportunity in terms of gauge, maybe potentially some impact. And so I think, uh, I think that's, that's, that's the way to go. But the mere fact that they're talking about elevating humanity now and giving it to poor people, I'm like, hmm, I, I find that very, very interesting, you know. So I, but number one, brother Africa, you know, I, I seriously doubt if they, if they will do that. I mean, I think that sounds good, uh, but seriously, I, I don't. If, if, if they do that, I would be surprised. If they actually carry through with that, would they actually invaccinate, you know, poor folks with that vaccine? Then I know something is seriously wrong. If they don't do it, then well, I mean, then, then maybe the vaccine is legit. Because the, the lives of poor people is not important, so if they perish, then so be it. It's not. It's not a major loss. But so anyway, brother Africa, you know, I'm. I'm I agree. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just too much going on. You know, currently in the in the, in the system, uh, in the world system, uh, that uh, doesn't bode well in terms of the aspirations of human beings. And so therefore, I'm very skeptical in terms of you know this plan to immunize you know uh, poor people first. And so that's my view on that. Brother Moses, what do you make of this priority of identifying the medical workers and the poor should be the first target of receiving these the vaccinations? So this is this is the first time I've heard this scenario. Um, I've heard about the medical workers and stuff, but the, I've never heard about you know the, the poor being the second in line and stuff. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of information and disinformation and misinformation out there and and that we have to, to 
the mass movement requires a mass of consciousness, and we have to sort through this this uh, who's saying what and why they're saying it, you know, um, and um, you know. But definitely, you know, I don't see the U.S. of A. Uh, prioritizing poor people. I, I don't see that happening, and I'm I, I, I would wonder where that source of information came from. Thank you. Okay, well, in this sense, it came from one of the major new network. I believe it may have been APC, where they were doing a particular um, report on it, Brother Moses, and I heard that and called me to wonder, to ponder, in terms of I find that an interesting conversation. So I thought I would just raise it with my panelists today to get y'all take on what y'all, what y'all think about that possibility. But it came from one of the major network networks, I believe it was ABC. And I just thought it was interesting. I wonder how other people feel about it, just about the type of choices that are being made as we continue to discuss and look at this phenomenon that is going on under the disguise of COVID-19. Now, also something that took place in my world for this past week was I read a, a statement on Facebook by someone and I thought it was an interesting statement. It make you say, it make you think about, hmm. And I like for y'all to respond to the statement. And I would paraphrase it per se. It stated that only African Christians would buy a factory, a production factory, and turn the factory into a church and then say that we need to create some jobs for our people. Hmm. What y'all think about that? Well, I think certain kind of values get inculcated uh, in the minds of, of, of Africans, you know, in a Christian church. Unfortunately, I, I, I'm not, let, me, let me not make a blanket statement because there are some Christian churches that do a very good job in terms of liberation theology, which actually teaches people, you know, to be much more holistic in terms of their views of humanity. So there are those those pastors who exist. So I'm not talking about them, but I'm talking about your your, your typical pastor, uh, you know, um, your southern uh, southern uh, uh, pastor, uh, whose position is that you know that. Uh, Change is, is is only possible, you know, when it, when the Creator deems it possible, and this notion in terms of uh, in terms of human actually creating change is simply impossible. And of course, the irony is that you know when you, when you say something like that, when you look in terms of just the progress, the limited progress that's taken throughout happen throughout the world is a result of people working together to create policy and, and laws to change uh, certain situations which are which are damnable and. Uh, so therefore, the possibility of human beings actually making change does exist, and so this notion that people, human beings, are incapable in of making change is some, somewhat uh, absurd. But in any event, uh, there are those, but there are those Christian pe- pe- people in the Christian Church, in the African Christian Church, who believe, who believe that, that kind of evangelistic, evangelical kinds of thought uh, process, which says that, you know, uh, that uh, you know that listen, uh, people. People don't need jobs. Uh, people need to come to the people need to come to create to the creator and to come to the creator as it's going to be all right. Uh, and so it's t- totally flies in the face in terms of human need, and it is an ironic that when you talk about in terms of in terms of human need, one thing about very very clear on in terms of 
uh, uh, you know, the importance in terms of uh, people working together, people sharing, to ensure that people get what they need in terms of survival. So that point is indisputable. That is precisely what the Bible says. The Bible, all religious documents say the same thing. So for, for, for evangelical types in the Christian African Christian church to come with this notion that I don't have to put people to work, but it's more important that we build churches, and so therefore, you know, all the problems are solved. It's a kind of mysticism that exists in the mind of people who really believe in the fact that uh, human beings are incapable of thought. And that's scary. And that's very, very scary. And, of course, when you keep in mind, when you look at the history of the African church, but keep in mind, one of the things that the planet class wanted to inculcate in the minds of our people was that, uh, that, 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 we, that, that, that we have no power, that the only hope that we have comes from the creator. And as such, you know, we have internalized that through the ages, and so we believe that we're incapable of actually working together to create, that we have to depend on the creator to do that. Now, it seems to me that the creator gave us all an op- the, the ability to think. And that's, so because we have the ability to think, then it seems to me the creator is saying that if you use that ability to think, then you can resolve a lot of your problems. The creator didn't, I know no creator, no religious text that says that don't think, just depend on me. As a matter of fact, Christian church, the Christian ethic, Christian rules say that, you know, uh, my people perish from lack, well, Christian scriptures which says that my people perish from lack, lack of knowledge. So this notion that, in fact, that the people can't solve the problems, I mean, it's just kind of evangelical thought process, which is killing the African community. And it exists throughout the world. It's not just, it's not just in America, but throughout the world. Wherever you find um, Christianity, evangelical uh, uh, individuals, you find this propensity for these same people not to give a damn about humanity, but only give a damn about themselves and what is it for them. And that is in direct contrast to what, this, what the biblical scripture is all about. Even even in the context of the of the of the of the, of the uh, New Testament, I'm not talking about the Old Testament. I'm talking about the New Testament. So so clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think this this is one of these these these, these ironies that exist in terms of the African Christian Church. Uh, you know, and you keep on seeing it over and over again. And to what extent that you know this pursuit of money plays a big role in terms of uh, the thinking of Christian leaders. Uh, there's a lot of money in terms of religion. And so to what extent does that impact their ability to uh, create a message uh, of empowerment? Or what, to what extent does it undermine their ability to create a message that's empowering? Uh, so, I, so I think that uh, it is one of those ironies in which we, we have to ask ourselves, mm, you know, what is, what is going on here? Because there are so many situations which these Christian churches can take nice buildings in which they could renovate and actually create businesses, as opposed to using their resources to create businesses, they create bigger churches. And so you have these mega churches with all these people attending these churches, uh, but then you're surrounded by a sea of poverty. And you ask yourself, huh, what's wrong with that picture? What, 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 what is your Christian mission? What is, there's something fundamentally wrong here. So what is it, what is it about your brand of Christianity that allows you to, to, to undertake the project in which a few people are going to benefit at the expense of the masses, even though the Bible says that you have respons- more responsibility to, to, to your fellow brother and sister? So how do you justify it as a Christian? But evangelicals do a very good job in terms of rationalizing the most insane kinds of ideas. And so I'm not surprised that they would take a big building like a church as, a, as opposed to a big building like a factory as opposed to trying to use any resources to open that and put people to work. They'd rather make it a, a, a giant church for the sole purpose in terms of the fit of a few people, you know, who had that, who had that particular church or that church organization. So clearly, Brother Africa, you, it's one of those things that's confounding. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm always amazed when it happens. I just want, you know, I'm going to ask them, excuse me, but seriously, what God do you serve? 
what 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 God would justify this? I mean, you know, what what Jesus what Jesus are you talking about that would that would that would sanction what you just done? Uh, but but uh, you'll never get an answer for them because you know they're um, most of the time um, they're Muslim don't read well don't don't read so they they couldn't tell you they've been told that their obligation is is to to be a good Christian to simply to to obey the Ten Commandments and then everything's okay as though the real world doesn't exist and that they have no responsibility for the real world. So I'm not surprised at all that they would do that. They would take a factory and, and convert it to a church. So I'm just not surprised that happens all the time. Okay, to Brother Moses and Brother Anthony, I just want to qualify when I read that statement. Uh, we are not attacking Christianity as, a, as an entity. We are speaking to the nature of maybe decisions that certain people make who may call themselves Christians in terms of taking a production factory company and changing it into a church and then raise the issue of our, job, our people need jobs. So what you make of that 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 particular dynamic, Brother Moses, and then Brother Anthony? Yeah, um, we need jobs, not war. Jobs, not war, and um, we need um, we need um, liberation theology. Basically, I mean, we need people who are who are trying to bring about uh, conscious understanding of what's going on in the world and what needs to be done. And uh, I don't know that the ministers and the evangelists and the, the Christians and all are capable of uh, of actually. Um, Explaining to people what's really going on and, and and raising political consciousness, I think you know we have a lot of pie in the sky ministries and and uh, prosperity ministries and all kinds of uh, opportunist ministries. But uh, in terms of actually liberating some theology, there's not a lot going on in my, that I can see. And so, you know, the fact that they would turn a factory into a a church and uh, and then cry for jobs uh, is not surprising because you know there's no there's no real uh, ideological firm foundation uh, in the working class. Thank you. And your response to this phenomenon, Brother Anthony? Uh, the phenomena of uh, of. Uh T- uh, taking a, a factory and turning it into a church, and yes, um, yes. Um, that trend uh, goes on with other institutions as well as factories that could uh, otherwise be used to create jobs, or in some cases, housing for people, depending upon the type of entity that's being converted into a church. And uh, and uh, the, uh, the contradiction is that a lot of people that adhere to Christianity do not understand the principles of Christianity. And, uh, and if people study the life of Jesus Christ carefully, um, you know, they would understand that he was against poverty. And uh, he uh, he himself would never build uh, an elaborate institution that, uh, that, that in the midst of, uh, 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 of uh, people suffering. 
and uh and uh people that go for elaborate uh you know buildings and celebrations to honor uh Jesus Christ do not understand correctly the principles that underlie Christianity and that uh and that inst- and that human beings create institutions in order to advance humanity not to keep it at the same level that is at at the present time. Okay, panelists, at this point in time, what we're going to do is we're going to take a rubber station break, and when we come back, we are going to do the second segment of our program, which tonight is titled Part 2, Information, Education, and Liberation. you listen to Africa on the Move.
political panelists and analysts, but at the same time, we'd like to hear your response. And you can do this by dialing in at 323-679-0841. We now will go to Dick Gregory. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me first say we thank and praise God that we have all made it here safely today. I pray to God that your return and my return will be equally as safe. Let me first say I'll, I'll be mentioning God, but I'm not talking about them isms and osms y'all talking about. And one day you will find out what the real thing is about. It's not about the church. When the Catholic Church elevated the first Polish cardinal to Pope, 1.5 million white folks left the church. I don't know nobody ever left a whole house because somebody came in they didn't like. And you youngsters, if you just remember one thing, stop letting us old folks tell you about how nothing you are because we the ones that left you this mess. We put a school together with a bunch of evil old men. When you stop and think about a white woman didn't get the right to vote in America to 1921, and she came over on the boat with that boy. I said, boy, if you treat your mother like that, my mama better stay in the house. (laughs) A white woman in America with a Ph.D., make 87 cents on the dollar compared to a white man. And that don't bother y'all? We give more money to foreign countries that we don't like just because they got minerals in the ground than we give taking care of our own. And they can do that when they keep you messed up with hatred and meanness and racism and prejudice and all of that. And let me first say to you white people, I will be saying some things today about white folk, but I can guarantee you. Oh, wait, will y'all listen to me? I'll guarantee you I will not be talking about you. See, I advocate it ain't about 800 white folks on the whole planet and the rest of y'all is imposters. See, white is not a color, it's an attitude. And if you don't have trillions of dollars in the bank, you can't have the attitude. Hmm? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth make $360 million every 24 hours, just interest on her money. Now, them bees, white folks. <laughs> and if ever I took over the country, the first thing I would do is make all you black folks apologize to white folks, or you mad at the wrong white folks. The white folks you mad that couldn't help you if they liked you. Hmm? That white dude asked me, well, how do you know if you real white folks? I said, well, you get up 
and call the Wall Street, and why are you talking if you can't determine the stock going to go up or come down, you know what? Somewhere. And let me first say thank you for those of you all that worked to put this together. My job's easy. All I have to do is present a body. So for those of you all that put all the work together to make this happen, we say thank you. Thank you. Secondly, let me say to those of you that do the physical part, who we never even see, the mic didn't just walk up here and the chairs didn't just, some human beings did this. And unbeknown to most of us, when we leave here today, someone will come here and straighten this place up. So for those of you that handles that, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. And somewhere, if we learn to say thanks to a whole lot of people that we don't see, you get 20 inches of snow tomorrow. And those folks you see cleaning it up, they're invisible until tomorrow. Hmm? Invisible. Like I say, my job's easy. Somebody pick me up at the airport, somebody showing up going to take me back. Hmm? Somewhere it's about the humanity. Hmm? The humanity. We locked up into athletes and entertainers. When that universal God, not the church, picked you, it leaves no footprints. It don't give a damn about the New York Times or the Washington Post or Time Magazine or NBC or CBS. The real one. There's people in this room now that have done more for the humanities on this planet than 99% of all your athletes and entertainers put together. It wasn't entertainers and athletes or the church that made it possible for you women to sit here in this school next to men, in this America. And we're always arguing about something. And let me just stop and apologize to white folks. I was stupid enough to believe that all black folks looked alike to white folks. I, I ain't going to lie. I believed it until Obama become president. And I haven't, I haven't had one white person walk up to me and say, uh, excuse me, Mr. President. <laughs> so I know we don't all look alike. And secondly, let me say to black educators, I apologize because I've had 50 honorary doctor's degrees from black colleges. And in fact, I'm 80 years old. I still had that Negro stuff up here. So I said, it won't be right until I can just get me one honorary degree from a white college. So I wrote white colleges where I could never heard from none until last month, Penn State called me. In 
Okay, we'd like to give you an honorary doctor's degree. I said, no, thank you. Somewhere. I have been married 55 years. Oh, wait, I didn't say I was happy. What the hell's wrong with you? Yes, we have left a mess because in this country, white folks and black folks lie to you because they don't want to lose a job, but they believe in God. Hmm? We give you stuff that we know is corrupt. We, we create schools to teach you how to make a living, and the universal God said you better learn how to live. Hmm? If you didn't have a good example, you got one now. Steve Jobs died. He had $300 billion in his personal, private checking account and couldn't make 58 years old. I got an old trifling thug cousin in St. Louis, <laughs> drank cheap wine, stayed drunk all the time. He can't read, he can't write, ain't never had a job, but he 101. Steve, <laughs> Steve should have followed him. <laughs> Steve dead, $300 billion in his personal. I called my cousin this morning just to make sure he was still kicking. <laughs> so we left you young folks a big mess. Did you either change it or have fun and have fun quick because recess is just about over. Right. And the lies go so deep. My mother was alive today and walked into this room. You think God just spit her out. That's how precious and beautiful and spiritual she looks. But if you try to convince my mother that Jesus Christ wasn't a Christian, she'd stomp you to death. Because her ignorance didn't permit her to know that Christianity never started until 100 years after Jesus was dead. She didn't know that. She didn't know they killed his brother James the same way they killed him. Somewhere. King James, she didn't know King James was king of England. She didn't know King James was such a weird, strange homosexual. He hated women so bad he killed his mama. And his lover was Lord Buckingham, who Buckingham Palace is named after but King James didn't lie. He didn't say this is God's version, Jesus' version, Christianity's version, Buddha's version. He said this is my version. And so if your brother wrote a book on his version on how to play basketball, I got a God intelligence to tell me, check him out first, then I'll understand his version. See, if your brother got no legs, his version going to be different. Somewhere, somewhere, and I don't know when you women going to understand who you are, understand the power you are. It wouldn't be none of us on this planet if it wasn't for women, and yet they got you believing you came second. Huh? That old filthy story of Adam and Eve, are y'all crazy? 
Adam was here by himself. Y'all know the story. Adam. And then he, he said one day to God, God, I am lonely. And when God didn't say, nigga, how can you be lonely when ain't nobody here but you? He was here, nobody else. How he no lonely? But if you follow the story, here come Eve. They had two sons. You don't know the story? Cain and Abel. One son killed the other one. So let's do this right. There's Adam and Eve. Put, put two fingers up. Then Cain and Abel. That's four. Then one boy killed the other one. Take one down. That's three. Then he went out and begot him a wife. <laughs> now you see where the word MF come from, huh? <laughs> well, don't look so strange. You count it. <laughs> it's three people. Him, dad, and mom. Somewhere. You Christians, y'all trip. I know because I'm one. You Christians are a trip. I shall not kill except war. Now, it didn't say that. But somebody told you. You go kill people you don't know, never met. But it's okay because some rich, powerful human being said, here's what you, and you don't question nothing? Somewhere. Somewhere. I can go all over the world, been all over the world many times, and I can recognize a prostitute. She look like a hoe. She act like a hoe. She believe like a hoe. No, the question is, if I can recognize a whore without her telling me, how come if you don't tell me you're a Christian, I don't know you one? I go to jail and speak all over the world. Strange thing. How come there are no atheists on death row? What is it about people that don't believe in God don't kill folks? Huh? But you go to war. Saying prayers, you can come back. Let me kill him and get it over with. Somewhere. You don't care nothing about poor folks. Even poor folks don't care nothing about poor folks. Hmm? Oh, it always wants something free. I have a business. I have a company. I can take five hoes today all over the world, and as long as I call them hoes my secretary, it's a tax write-off. Huh? All these big restaurants you go to and you can't afford to go. Manhattan, all over the world. Those are tax write-offs. Huh? First class, you get on a damn plane. I came back from London, France, the other day. 
My first class ticket cost $10,000 more than the economy. And most of us wouldn't be up there if we couldn't write that off on our income tax. You love to pick on POFA, but you're not going to mess with people with power because they'll hurt you. Fear. Scared of everything. Sitting here in this college going to take, take a damn test, and you scared. Do you know fear and God don't occupy the same space? A damn book that's dead. Huh? You can create another human being. That's the power you have. That book can't produce one page, and you scared and nervous? I know you. I, was, I went to college. I was there. People were scared. They said, you're so cool. Cool. Well, I mean, what you can do? Can't do nothing but flunk me. And you smart people, I don't understand you. I walked in the class my first day in college, took the test, read it. I see I didn't know anything, so I signed it and left. <laughs> you dumb punk. You know those dumb punk when they take a test? They put the pencil in their mouth like they thinking. <laughs> Hold their head and you dumb. <laughs> Just sign the paper and leave. <laughs> and you smart people, you really a trip. Helene Tucker, she was the smartest person I ever met in school. I sit there two minutes and left, waiting on her just to wave at her. She come out two and a half hours later. I said, she must really be dumb. I said, You listen to Brother Dick Gregory really talking about the various contradictions that exist in our daily lives. We're going to do a little segment of giving you something to think about. See, our panelists, you have heard many um, situations that were pointed out in Dick's presentation that will give you something to think about. For example, he raised the issue of 1.5 million people left the original Originally, when the Catholic Church came to exist in Europe, he talked about it wasn't until 1921 where European women were, were allowed to vote in the U.S. He talked about a major distinction that was only maybe eight, 800 white people, you know, in, in the society. He defined white not based upon color, but on a, but based upon an attitude. And one of the most recent points he made was the point of what it is about people who are atheists that don't believe in the Creator, but at the same time they don't kill, versus the opposite way around. So we hope that this has given us something to think about. So as we discuss this segment of information, education, liberation, panelists, I'd like for y'all to respond to what y'all just heard. Give the people something to think about. Your response, Brother Hackey. Yeah, well, he's right. The, there's limited amount of uh, limited amount of contradictions that exist. Uh, you know, um, so all these problems historically, you know, the African community has confronted with. Um, most of us have yet to even deal with those contradictions, and so, but yet we expect our kids to deal with them. So clearly, you know, there a lot of the fault, a lot of responsibility in terms of the problems that we're now seeing, a direct result of the inaction or the indecisiveness or the lack of understanding that was so prominent among so many in the African community. So he's absolutely correct on that point. Secondly, I think in terms of women, I, I, I think it's a very, 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 very good point. Women are very, very powerful. In fact, you know, uh, 
if you're going to have any meaningful change, women have to take a lead. Uh, that's not a sexist comment. That's the truth. Uh, if, in fact, if things are going to change, women are going to have to take the lead. Uh, for w- women are very good in terms of working with one another. Uh, I mean, not, not to say that women don't have that little spats. Of course, they do because uh, women tend to be very hard on other women, and, of course, that does exist, and I, and I acknowledge that. But the same token, in terms of their ability, in terms of working and to, get, to, to convey ideas in a manner in which, you know, uh, are non-threatening. Women are very, very good at that. Uh, some of it perhaps is conditioning. Some of it maybe it's just the spiritual nature of being a female. I, I don't know. But nonetheless, they're very good in terms of conveying ideas which would be problematic for men to to, to address. Uh, I think also, um, you know, I think also this question in terms of war. Uh, there's, there's no question. Um, you know, uh, people who say they're Christians who say they're against violence, but they see violence all around them, and they never ask the question why. They never even attempt to articulate, you know, an alternative version, alternative way in terms of doing things that uh, that uh, deny uh, a violence a platform. And so the question becomes, well, just how how committed are you to this to this, this Christianity when you see powerful people committing war, going around the world killing people they don't even know? simply to take their resources, but you say absolutely nothing. How do you justify it as a Christian person? Uh, so, you know, so I think that that point was, I mean, that point was so, I mean, was so germane in terms of, you know, in terms of everything, in terms of just the kind of hypocrisy that is so so much a part in terms of our existence, you know, in, on this planet. But I'll close with that, Brother Africa, because it's just, it's just a whole lot I could respond to, but you got other panelists, so I'm going to let other panelists respond as well. Brother Anthony, your response, giving the people something to think about. Your response based upon the various contradictions that were raised by Brother Brother Dick Gregory. Yes. Uh, in terms of uh, the fact that this observation that there are only 800 white people, what he was really alluding to was uh, was not only uh, uh, ethnicity or nation, but also class. He was alluding to the fact that the ruling class in uh, in the world only represents a relatively small number of people, and uh, an attitude, and in terms of attitude, he was talking about ideology, and that this small class of people are able to impose their ideas. Upon the rest of humanity Because of their control Of uh, resources And uh, and the way people think That's what he was alluding to And in terms of uh, You know And in terms of um, You know uh, You know uh, The practices associated with With, with Christianity which I think we had talked about earlier during the program. That's what that's what he was talking about. The differences between what Jesus taught and what and and the body of thought that constitutes Christianity as practiced in uh, in, in most parts of the world. And I think it was very telling the fact that uh, Christian the the concept of Christianity did not come into existence until 100 years after uh, Jesus the Christ uh, made his transition. 
So I think, um, you know, I think some, I think he, in that short piece, he gave a lot for people to think about. Uh, the problem is a lot of people don't think we react. We don't think. And that's something we have to do more of. And I'll leave it at that for right now. Well, Moses, your point to this, and one of the things I would like for you to respond to, he made a point where people are conditioned to go to school to seek a way of making a living but don't know how to live. Your response to that particular phenomenon and your general response to many of the contradictions that he raised. Well, it's always great to hear the the great Vic Gregory. I mean, he's a legend in his own time, and uh, and um, his his insights, uh, you know, are profound. Um, now, um, people people go to school to get jobs and and get a profession and a career, earning money. Uh, usually, that's that's usually the case, and. Uh, so, you know, the the philosophical problem is a, is a, what is the meaning of life and what is life all about. It's a philosophical problem, and so wow, it's a, the basic primary contradiction in life is what am I going to do with my life uh, in terms of of why am I here? Is do I have a purpose? Is there a purpose? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And people, people must find meaning in their life lives. Um, uh, um, all I can say is, you know, you, the life, I can look back over my life as this, one of the songs writers said, and I can see all the mountains, and I can see all the valleys, and I see all the hills I've already come through. And so, you know, you know, I, personally, I believe in God. You know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in love. I believe and cherishing and and protecting the, those things which which we value in our heart and um you know uh I don't know people 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 need guidance I guess in order to 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 learn uh they say raise up a child in the way they should go and they won't stray from it and et cetera et cetera so everybody has a philosophical question of of why am I here? And if I have a child, what do they need to know? What 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 don't what what do they need to know? I mean, uh, is the responsibility there? Um, and uh, I don't know. Other thing was um, just uh, just as uh, the devil's in the details. Um, God didn't. Adam didn't. Adam didn't say I'm lonely. Um, God's God's. God said it's not good that a man should be alone and made him a mate. Uh, just a little detail. But uh, anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. you know, Brother Hacker, you touched upon it earlier. I would like to get other response to the issue I thought was real interesting in terms of people are more spiritual or so-called religious. They have a tendency to, to be more violent and kill more. Versus those who are not. How do y'all rectify or reconcile that particular contradiction? I don't think it can be rectified, Brother Africa. I I think that when you talk about secular humanists, uh, the thing that distinguishes them from people who say they're religious 
or spiritual is that people who are secular humanists tend to think, um, and is also buttressed by you know uh, active reading, and so therefore they have different perspectives in terms of life. And so when putting all that together, then they're in a much more much better position in terms of making sense of what is the thing we call life. I think when you're spiritual and you believe or you're religious and you think that uh, that you know all your problems can be solved simply by prayer or, or, or wishful thinking. And if you think that, in fact, that all your problems are solved simply by doing that, then there's a propensity to do things that um, are, are, are destructive and thinking that you always be forgiven if you simply pray or, or say things, you know, that are suitable uh, for your particular religious, denomina- religious denomination. So, so I think that the difference is that, you know, when, 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 he, when he talks about the people on death row being, um, uh, 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 being you know, being uh, um, religious, it speaks to the fact that you know that if if, if in fact those same people on death row, if they would have been a secular humanist, the likelihood was that they would actually stop and and, and think and question you know this thing that they call life and to understand their role in this thing that we call life in terms of interaction with other human beings, and so therefore we all understand that situations in which we become enraged, we become angry, we want to strike out. That they still can kind of happen, but if that kind of Inclination is buttressed with some understanding in terms of why you feel that way. Then you're much more strategic, you're in a better strategic, strategic, excuse me, strategic position to refrain from doing that. If you're just, if you're just into religion, then the whole point is that you always can be forgiven, and so you're less likely to even think about in terms of the processes involved to a point where you become enraged. You simply strike out some because you know at some point you're going to be, you're, you can be redeemed simply by prayer or what, or what have you. So I think that is the fundamental difference. I think one of the reasons why secular humanism is growing throughout the world is because people begin to see religion for what it is. Uh, it's, 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 not, it's not an interest of, uh, of humanity, and most people are rejecting it. They don't even, you know, to the extent that people are, are, are religious, most people say, well, I'm spiritual. In other words, they're closer to secular humanism. In other words, they believe in the theory. They don't define it. They see it as a universe. But, but they, they, they understand that there is there is some 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 type of retribution, you know, to do things that are deemed you know destructive, and so therefore they're cognizant of the fact that you know whatever they do, they have to do it in a way which is mindful, you know, of the universe, and so therefore you know I think so therefore they're less likely to to kill people in up on death row as opposed to people who are people who are who are religious or the spiritual. So in event, I I I think that that is the distinguishing difference between the two, and I do make a distinction between religion and spirituality. Uh, spirituality shouldn't be where you identify with any particular deity. Spirituality should be about the universe. It's about all things being equal, all things being connected, you know, one 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 reality. Uh, so that's spirituality. Now people take that and they 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 they, they view spirituality differently, and that's fine. Uh, some people do spirituality more in line in terms of maybe uh, religion, uh, but they would call it tell you spiritual. So it's very subjective, subjective, subjective. Um, um, uh, concept, but nonetheless, you know. But the people who are secular humanists, I think they're less ambiguous in terms of in terms of understanding the world in which we live in. I think they understand the universe. I think they understand the relationship between human beings and the universe. Who understand the relationship between humans and animals? Who understand the relationship between humans and the planet? So I think that those kind of people are in a much more strategic position to do those kind of things that are that are positive. Those things that are moving humanity forward. Those kind of things that would uh, those kind of people who would innovate systems. Which brings the best out of human beings and not the worst. You like to elaborate a little bit on that aspect, Brother Anthony? Yes. Um, 
uh, let's see uh, the, the the distinction between uh, 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 being religious and, and spiritual, or the distinction between religious and spiritual, and their relationship to the propensity of women to kill. Yeah, well, um, well, 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 religiosity is based upon, uh, you know, a, a, uh, an organization of uh, of people that share the same, um, you know, uh, belief or ideology. Whereas uh, spirituality speaks to. Um, you know, an individual's relationship uh, to, uh, to 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 that which exists around them is more of a, a personal sort of thing, whereas religiosity speaks to uh, a, 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 you know an a, an organizational sort of. Um, you know, phenomena uh, regarding, uh, you know, uh, you know, ideas. And in terms of the pro- 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 propensity for, uh, for people to be, uh, to be, uh, uh, you know, more violent, and yet, uh, well, you, in terms of the contradiction of, um, People on death row being, uh, you know, religious. I think part of that is out of uh, fear, and uh, that uh, speaks to another contradiction. That someone that 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 that, that Gregory alluded to, and the fact that someone uh, that's gen- that genuinely believes in God, you know, has no fear. And uh, you know, and that's um, you know speaks to um, you know another contradiction that exists in capitalist societies that uh, that people's uh, lives are tend to be ruled by fear of um, uh, you know of uh, you know uh, you know uh, going to hell depending upon how they conduct themselves in this life. And Brother Moses, you have anything particular you'd like to add to this particular aspect? Um, um, define the aspect you're, you're speaking on specifically. We're speaking to. He raised the contradiction that people who are more who are more spiritual or more religious, quote unquote, are more likely not to want to engage in violence and killing. Versus those who claim to be more religious and spiritual, for some reason, they have a high tendency to engage in killing and fighting. You're saying the religious, the religious people, people have a tendency to be with. I, I seem like you said both ways. I mean, I don't know. So those who are more religious has more of a tendency to engage in killing and fighting versus more those religious who are not. Happen. Right. Hmm. Um. Well, let me say, God, God, God. I mean, if you if you're in jail, there's a God. Um, uh, so, um, 
the concept of God is 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 full of contradictions and and it evolved historically and uh and uh but they say the fear of the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom that's that's uh and according to the bible anyway uh but anyway i I'm not a preacher I don't want to get into the bible said this and the bible said that and stuff uh, um um I'm about revolution and I'm about uh uh Marx, Ingrid, Lennon, Stalin, Mao Zedong. I'm about um Kwame Ture and I'm I'm learning and every day uh um about uh Nakuma tourism and uh, but you know when I I remember when I first started um with uh, Africa on the move, I said I said I was uh, uh, what I said culturally. Uh, I can't remember the words I used, but I, I knew I was oh culturally deprived, culturally deprived. Yeah, because you know um, Nakuma tourism and stuff. Um, that wasn't that wasn't part of my environment. That wasn't that was just wasn't on the scope, and uh, and I wasn't brought up in in that in that uh, in that social milieu or whatever. Uh, and uh, but I but I'm 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 deepening my roots. Uh, that's what I like to think. I'm deepening my roots, and uh, I've always I've always had. I mean, I was I was. I don't know. I don't know how I got a rambling on about my life, man. Anyway, let me let me no let me get off. No let me problem. get off this. Let me get off. We in, we in agreement. We in agreement. We understand there's not where you are, but where you're trying to go. So we're on the same road together, my brother. You're doing well. Uh, hey, panelists. Time has came sort of to a closing, but we would like to get your response as it relates to part two: information, education, liberation about this recent policy that took place. If you go to the weekly uh, newsletter, Cuba News, dealing with Cuba, U.S.-Cuba relations on November 29th, they have an interesting article um, subtitled, Western Union Ends It Remittance Business to Cuba. I read a little something in the first paragraph, and I'd like to get your response to uh, uh, what's the motivation behind this policy and how does it impact not only, not only the brothers and sisters in Cuba, but even the people here. Um, under the article written, Western Union, we're in its remittances, remittances business to Cuba. It says that Western Union announced it would end service to Cuba November 26th, following the Trump's administration's latest policy change. The Miami Herald reports customers in the U.S., have until 11 p.m. on November the 22nd to send their remittances, and Cubans on the on the island have until 6 p.m. November 23rd to pick them up. The 400 Western Union locations across the island will close after the state remittances at an important life is an important lifeline for many Cubans especially as the island faces the worst economic crisis since the special period of the 1990s. So given the pandemic impact it's having on Cuba and throughout the world, 
Thanksgiving that people have families, you know, in Cuba. The U.S. and the Trump administration is intensified. It's embargo, it's blockade against Cuba by not allowing friends and family members to send remittances inside. Now, what is the whole motivation behind this so-called particular attitude and policy? Uh, panelists, I'll start with you first, Brother Anthony. Yes, it it is uh, it's a continuation of uh, U.S. policy for the last uh, sixty plus years to try to starve uh, the Cuban people, to force them to uh, to attack the revolutionary process going on in Cuba, and uh, so they're trying to starve the Cuban people into submission. But uh, because the revolutionary process has been able to plant deep ideological roots inside of Cuba, it would it would feel like all of other attempts uh, to encourage a counter-revolution inside of Cuba. But it's a continuation of that effort. Uh, to uh, to make conditions so harsh in Cuba that the people will will uh, will rise up to uh, to oppose the Cuban Revolution, and that is the intent of this latest policy. It's a continuation of numerous other uh, strategies over the decades to try to uh, destroy the Cuban Revolution. Brother Haki, your take? Yeah, put it, put it in another way. It's, in, it's important for the ruling class in America not to let the people in this country understand that there is an alternative to this capitalist system. So their fear is that once people understand that you you can't effectively take out your population, you can't effectively be humane, you can't effectively educate all your people, once the people in America understand that, uh, then this, the game is over in the U.S. The U.S. leadership understands that. And so, the, so therefore, the American leaders have a vested interest in making sure all those movements throughout the world, which highlights the benefits of humanity, to destroy those governments. So whether you talk about Cuba, Nicaragua, um, um, Venezuela, uh, China, or even Yugoslavia, history, or, uh, ancient, um, older, older Yugoslavia, even if you're talking about these countries, the, the intent has always been to deny uh, that, 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 that opportunity for people in, in America to see there is an alternative to capitalism. And so, therefore, that's why you find the U.S. aggressively going throughout the world, destroying anything that vaguely suggests that there is a counter, there is, there is a counter to, to capitalism. That in fact, you can organize your society in a humane, just, and, and honest kind of way, and you don't have to resort to the kind of um, um, uh, oppression, uh, degradation, uh, bullying of your population like they do in America. So that's an implicit threat. This is why they they threat, they, they bomb countries. They go to war, they subvert, they undermine people's democracy throughout the world. Because any country that stands to show people that show American citizens that a different way of doing things is a threat to the United States. In a nutshell, that's why they do what they do. And Brother Moses, your response? Uh, certainly, certainly, we support the Cuban people. Let's get that straight. I mean, um, and um, of course, this um, this. This government, the U.S. of A. and 
and you, along with the Israeli government, you know, has determined they're gonna they're gonna set the world back with and uh, and uh, and just dominate the world with their their wishes and their ambitions. But the world's people have a different opinion, and uh, and hopefully we will get organized and uh, and uh, bring about a change. That's the that's the future. I'm leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, panelists. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take a revolutionary culture break. When we come back, we'd like to have your final thoughts for tonight's program. This is Africa on the Moon. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, 
comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Brother Africa, it has been very interesting. Um, I think 
you for allowing me to be on the air one more time. Uh, I um, I think you know, white black skin can't be free before white skin can be free. That basically we're in a bound in this world political economy, uh, imperialist system uh, headed by the U.S. Israeli governments, and uh, and of course. The tail doesn't wag the dog, so it's really the United States that's the 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 direction of the main blow or whatever. And um, so it's like um, I hope that people can heighten the contradictions and confront the powers that be, speak truth to power, and and. Uh, and have faith. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, as always, for your contributions to today's program. And now we'll go to Brother Hackey. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Hackey. Yeah, let me just piggyback on what Brother Moses is saying. You know, one of the things is that, you know, there is a uncomfortable truth. Uh, I know it's much more, um, uh, it's much easier, you know, uh, for people to, and to engage, you know, in discussion in a manner which, you know, doesn't reveal too much truth. Uh, of course, it's less stressful to, to, to not deal with reality. Dealing with reality, of course, is very, very stressful, and I understand that. But the problem is we're caught up in a paradox. Uh, one of the things that, you know, uh, we can't change the fact that the society is in decline. That is a that, that's irrevocable fact, irreversible, irrevocable fact. Uh, we can't change that. Uh, the society is, is in, the U.S. is in decline, and if we look at history in terms, and we look at it as, as empires declined and the repercussions for the masses of people, is very, very clear. It's very, very evident. And so, therefore, given that reality in terms of the potential abuse, the people must suffer as a result of you know uh, empires declining. It seems to me that we don't have any other choice but any other choice but to grasp the, the nature of the beast. As painful and stressful as it is, we have no choice. I mean, I wish there was some easy way in terms of discussing things in which doesn't have to convey too much truth so people don't become too stressed. But that's what it's, 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 there's no way of getting around that. Uh, the bottom line is that we have to convey the truth as it is, as objectively is, and it's, and it's, not, and it's not pretty. Uh, but nonetheless, this is the reality that we, must, that we must circumvent. So in order for us to move forward, we must have organizations, we must have institutions in terms of objectively dealing with those things in which the masses of people not necessarily want to deal with. Uh, this is the hard reality of the situation we find ourselves in. And as always, Brother Africa, you know, I encourage people, you know, um, you know, to to unravel the matrix, you know, to 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 deal with the reality as it exists, and to understand, you know, that nothing changes without a struggle. And so, therefore, we need those institutions, we need those uh, uh, organizations in terms of combating the systematic insanity. And with that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Say, Brother Haki, as well, we thank you for your contributions to today's program. And we then will go to our Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight? My final thought for tonight, uh, for tonight is that we must get organized and we must educate ourselves and uh, we must uh, share, uh, you know, what our understanding as much as possible with our youth. Uh, the ultimate solution to our problems is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation 
and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And to learn more about this objective and our ideology and Kumism terrorism, please visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org to learn more about Pan-Africanism and, uh, and the history of our struggle to achieve it. And uh, thank you for having me on the program tonight. And remember, we must organize. We must join the, uh, uh, an organization that's fighting to achieve Pan-Africanism. And uh, on that note, uh, we must intensify a level of organization and political education. Thank you for allowing me to be on the program tonight. And remember, uh, 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 Pan-Africanism is the ultimate solution to the problems facing our people worldwide. And we'd like to thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contributions to today's program. And we'd like to remind all our listening audience and supporters to do all that you can, to learn all that you can, get as much information as you can. To educate yourself, and when we say educate yourself, we like to put great emphasis on political education, and that education in the context where it would teach you to do things in a, against the interests of yourself and your people, and we can do that, it only can move you down one road, and that's the road toward true liberation and unification of your people at home, Africa. Until next time, next week, same time, same station, we subscribe to go forward, I will. Back with novel. This is part two of information, education, and liberation. And when we do all three of these things, we can answer the question that Brother Marvin Gaye asked us years ago. And that question is, what's going on? Hey, 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 what's up, man? Brother,
You're a black man, you're an African 
Action in me, you're in Africa. 